And I could tell you tonight, God is changing lives. And changed people around here are growing. And there are things happening in families. And there are things happening in individual lives. And at the same time, while God is at work, we also recognize that in this community, the enemy is attacking people like crazy. Coming after people at at their point of weakness. And before we start this message of peace, and as we get onto this, I really want to stress something with you tonight. I want you to understand tonight as Pipeline Church, as we move ahead, the enemy does not like, that would be Satan and all of the negative forces of evil, right? Does not enjoy the fact that this church is proclaiming the good name of Jesus Christ above everything else. That there is no philanthropy and no good works that can send you to heaven, but the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ provides for that. The enemy doesn't like that. They would love it if we proclaimed a gospel message that was, if we just get together and put our hands together in the middle and say high five and lots of nice things, then, then God will be happy and the world will be changed. We don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is the answer for all of this. And as we proclaim that message loudly through this Advent season, you're also going to notice places in your life where the enemy may come and attack you to bring doubt and discouragement and frustration and anxiety all along the way. Let me tell you and give you a message that I believe God has put on my heart for tonight. The enemy of our souls has no power. There is no strength in the enemy to take your life, to break you. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and there is hope, and there is truth. And so what the enemy does is cause us to question our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And bring us to a question of wonder, who really is in charge? That's all it can do. In fact, the word really clearly says that the enemy walks around like a roaring lion looking for who he may devour. You guys have heard that if you've been in church for very long. Let me give you a a little deeper understanding of that. A lion who's roaring is usually an old lion. Young lions don't roar. Old lions roar. And the reason they roar is for intimidation. Because old lions typically don't have very good teeth. Old lions who don't want to be attacked and don't want to be threatened go around roaring and intimidating all the younger ones so they know they're in charge. But when confronted, the old lion typically loses. And so when the the story, when the illustration is used that the enemy walks around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour... It's this, if he can make you scared enough, if he can make you back off enough, if he can put the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ down long enough, then he can take and he can ravage and he can break your life and your heart. But I believe that God specifically put it on my heart tonight to just share with our church and remind us that we serve a risen Savior, that we celebrate the coming of the King. That we serve a God who came to earth and revealed himself in present focus so that we could experience freedom. So as we go to the word, 
and we get ready to talk about peace, I pray that the peace of God would rest on your heart, knowing who is in control tonight. Let's pray together. God, we call on your name, and we thank you for the work of your Son on the cross. We thank you for the way that you're molding and shaping and changing our lives. We thank you for the way you're speaking to us. And I pray in Jesus' good name tonight that you would use these moments and you would use this word to remind us who's in charge. Father, we submit to your authority and the authority of your word, and we proclaim the peace of the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have you look at a few sections of Scripture with me, and then I've got a a good number of points to bring about all that start with P. That's what pastors do. We think about this stuff like so much. How can I make all this start with P? And so I've really worked hard on it this week, but I want you to look at the screen or turn in your Bibles or devices or whatever you've got. Uh, I don't ever want to steer you clear by making you lazy by putting it up here, Uh, but we're going to turn in the Bible to Genesis 22, and I'm going to talk about this first, but Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to go to begin tonight in the Scripture. As you're turning there, I just pulled out of uh, the nice little dictionary that's on my computer. I pulled off peace. I wish we would spell it P-E-S. It would make it so much easier. But peace. It would be a freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility. A mental calm or serenity would be another way of explaining that. Freedom from or the cessation of war or violence. I'm just curious, and and you don't have to respond in this moment, but when I just say the word peace, what are some of the things that come to your mind? What are some of the things that rest in your heart? For for some of us, peace, when we say that, would 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 come and, and come as an overarching cloud over a lot of the unrest that we recognize in our day and in our world today. Peace is an uncommon thing. Some people would say, peace, it's it's not something that everybody knows or understands. For many, the word peace would uh, bring to their mind, you know, like John Lennon or, you know, little, I don't know, whatever those little sign symbol things with rainbow tie-dye stuff around them or something like that. Or even that... um, I don't VW bus that is on the movie cars. I always think of him with the little goatee thing. I don't know. It's bad. Some of you are like, what? Yeah. Have kids. It's joy. Right? So um, I just think there's so many things that are connotated when we think of the word peace. Another thing I just kind of this week have just kind of been meditating on peace and, and asking God, God, what, what does this look like in our world? And what does this look like? For a lot of people, they would see people like the Dalai Lama or even in India, Mahatma Gandhi, right? A lot of peace been proclaimed because they, they were proclaiming peace in a way that, that it was against or contrary to what was happening in our world. So they became actual voices for peace. But peace did not originate with those who spoke against war. And peace did not originate from an idea of wanting a break. Peace originated from so much more. 
In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He was busy about the operations of creation. And there comes a point where there is a specific time and place where it says, and God rested. There was peace on earth. And there was rest. And for some crazy thing that's built into our DNA. We physically crave rest and peace. For some of you, you enjoy confrontation, right? How, how many of you would say you're kind of one of those that's kind of like, I don't, I don't mind a good confrontation. Anybody? There's got to be a couple of you. Okay, there's a couple honest people. The rest of you are lying and you're totally not confronters, all right? It's not a bad thing. I'm not going to say you're not going to heaven or something like that. How many of you would say you're kind of a confrontational person? You're okay with that, okay? All right, good. You're not liars anymore. That's good, all right? So how many of you would say you would avoid confrontation at just about any cost? How many of you have no idea what the word confrontation means? All right, (laughs) If I raise my hand, what's he going to do, right? No, I'm not going to throw jelly at you or something. I don't know. Uh, The idea is there are some of us that it's like, oh, you want to fight? Okay, let's go, right? It's a quick thing. Some people, they even see the color red and they, "Ah!" they get away, right? They get, no, no, that's angry colors. I won't even go to McDonald's and order fries. It's just one of those things. It's the idea that, that we, some of us enjoy, some of us are confident and comfortable with confrontation and other people just, we're not. In fact, even to our own detriment, we'll just hold in and reserve and let people kind of do whatever they're going to do as long as I don't have to say anything or do anything. Like I just, it's too much. Peace. There's something in our souls that craves peace. So let's look at Genesis chapter 22 says, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged wood on it. He then tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Now you're already thinking, Jeff, this is not peace. What are you talking about? This is man killing son. Not cool. I saw it on the Bible miniseries. It was not all right, right? The story here is Abraham. He's been called by God to do something crazy. I don't, again, I don't know if you guys watched the Bible miniseries, but they depicted it pretty darn good. And if you really think about it, Abraham was probably perceived as like the biggest whack job of the day. Like Abraham, not like, oh, that's so holy and mighty. You want to take your son up and murder him on a pile of sticks. That's awesome. Nobody's thinking that's awesome, okay? Nobody's thinking that's a great idea. Nobody's thinking, wow, Abraham, praise the Lord, because they didn't know the Lord, all right? This is new. So it says they get to this place where Abraham has been told he's supposed to go, and he lays his son on the pile of sticks, ties him up, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice, and at that moment, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abram, Abraham. Now, okay. Again, let's just time out. Most of us, when we go to church, we have this kind of like really sanitary picture of God. 
and about God's stuff. So when we picture the story of Abraham going to kill his son on a pile of sticks, we kind of picture it as, okay, God, here I go. Right? And it's very dramatic and very, you know, Willie Shakespeare or whatever. But then you see in the scripture where it says, Abraham, Abraham, two times with exclamation points. I doubt it was the voice of the Lord coming and saying, uh, Abraham, Abraham, oh, Abraham. Right? Now I have a microphone on, but I'm going to tell you. It was probably really like loud, crazy. You're going to kill your son, right? Abraham! Abraham! Like, yes! Right? How do you have to do things to get your kids' attention when they're about to do something you know they shouldn't do? Right? You don't go, oh, would you stop? (laughs) You see them running for the road. You don't go, please don't do that. No. You run and you're like, no! Right? I remember my kids, like there was something happening and I was trying to get them to stop. And my pitch and my voice and my, my voice was so loud. They were like, I couldn't even hear you. Like it hit sonic levels, right? They're like, Right? Freaking out. So picture this. He's trying to tell Abraham, stop. Don't let this be a sanitary scripture about a nice guy who's doing good things to love the Lord. He's going to kill his son. Let that sink in. And think of the passion of the cry saying, Abraham! That stops a man in his tracks. And I love the reason. Yes? Abraham replied, here I am. Well, no, duh, here you are, right? It's like I, I knew where to call. But this passion, even at that, I can't separate myself from the moment to think what it must have been like. You guys, I mean, let's, let's get into this. To know what it must feel like. To know that you're going to take your, your very only son's life. There's something not just gut-wrenching, but gut-ripping about that. Take it in context here. The voice then says, Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. For I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So my daughters have been watching Hallmark movies lately because it's Christmas, right? They have the craziest emotional commercials on the Hallmark channel. Like they're like these mini movies that are like three minutes long. I cry almost every freaking time those things come on. Like today, it was this lady who was working like seven jobs to put her daughter through school. And the daughter hands her. It's always upside down. It's never like the part where I write mom or whatever. But it's on the other side where you can see the embossed hallmark, right? She hands her a card. And the card says everything she needed to say. Mom, I love you, right? And it's like this. (laughs) Like very emotional, Now, I'm going to tell you, like, this is way more than Hallmark moment here. This is like super duper in the moment, catching every bit of your guts. Where he says, Abraham, I've seen it. I know it. And I love you. Then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. 
And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, and this is what we're going to pay close attention to now that you've really soaked it up. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you obeyed me. And then they returned to their servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. The first uh, note that I put together, my peace, was price. Peace never comes without a price. Let's remember that peace, the peace that we enjoy, yes, we're talking about the baby Jesus coming. Yes, we're talking about the incarnate word with us, God with us. But we have to know the end of the story here. That our peace requires the death of the Son of God. There was a couple of years ago, it was coming to Christmas time, and I was a youth pastor uh, in Tulare and loving it. And we had a really big youth group. And, and one of the things that the Lord put on my heart was just that we were missing how deep the understanding of God and what this love was really all about. So it was our last service of the year. It was the normal time where we'd do like Christmas party and that kind of stuff. And yay, it was awesome. But for some reason that year, it seemed like everything from our small groups down to just our regular service meetings, it just was kind of like we were just going through the motions. And that year, I took a big old wooden cross and I put it on the stage. And that night, for one hour, I walked our students, through the grueling, painful death and burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we did that, there were leaders in the group and there were students in the group who just tears began to stream down their face. See, as a group, we had forgotten how serious this was. In all of the beauty and the lights and the frosted looking trees and everything that's around we had forgotten how deep this really would go. We have to understand that peace never comes without a price. And the beauty of the story of Genesis here, the, the beauty of this, is the message that comes to Abraham that says, I've seen what you're willing to give up. I'm seeing that you're willing to pay the price. That you know how valuable this is. That you understand the depth of this. So I'll pay the price instead. And I'll provide a way for you. And that was one of the first times in Scripture. There's others before that. But, but so deep, so clear. The promise of a Savior. The promise of true life and true hope that lays ahead. The next section of Scripture 
takes us a little bit farther down the line, but still in the Old Testament, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. And it starts in verse 2. And then we're going to go verse 2 and then verse 6 and 7. Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah, a lot of what he prophesied was exactly what, you know, everybody from Linus on the, uh, the early Peanuts movie about Christmas uh, on down the line uh, remembers and says, this was the prophecy of the coming king. And Isaiah spent a lot of time explaining to the people, hey, this is what it's going to look like when the king arrives. And so in chapter 9, verse 2, it says this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then in verse 6, it says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I cannot say that without thinking the Hallelujah Chorus. Wonderful, Counselor, right? Okay, just so you know what's going on in my head as I'm talking. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah promised and Isaiah foretold a child that would be born, that the people of the darkness would be brought into a great light. That there would be wholeness brought, where, where there was a lacking capacity for vision and hope and truth, that there would be one who would come who would completely change that. With that in mind, I put, God's peace exists because of a promise perfectly kept. It's crazy when you start realizing how many times in Scripture there's, there's prophecy about what it would look like when Jesus would arrive. And He's done it. The reason there's peace, the reason there's hope is because it was a promise that was perfectly kept. There's nothing you can point back to where they said, this is what He'll do, and then this is what He'll do, and then this is what it will look like. Where you can go back, well, He did two of the three. That's good. He did everything. So I love my wife, just so you guys know, like, just let's clear the air here. Um, I love my wife, Cindy. She's awesome. She's great. She's wonderful. She makes lists for me every so often because I require them because my brain doesn't go in straight lines very well. And I feel like I've done a really good job when I can show her the list and I've done like seven of the 10 things. Yes, nailed it, right? And she's actually just happy when I do two of the ten things, I think, most of the time. She's like, yes, we did it. And I started thinking of it. For us, we set the bar really low, but for God, you can't have a low bar. He is God. He is perfection. He is everything. And so when we read the prophecy of Isaiah saying, this is what it will look like, and, and this will what be what happens, it could only come through a promise perfectly kept. Because if there was any hole in there, there leaves a question mark. One of the things that in marriage, continuing on that theme, that begins to break things is when one spouse realizes the other tells them just enough of the truth to get them to quit asking other things. 
And there comes a distrust into the relationship. There has to be a, a pure, a whole hearted abandon to truth. We have to decide, no, we're going to do it this way. We're going to wholeheartedly go after this. Because there's no room. When you're sharing life with a partner, when you're sharing life with a spouse, there's no room for you to say, I wonder if they're really doing what they're saying. Because when that makes its way in, then there's a whole group of other things that make their way in. And that's why when we talk about God sending the Savior of the world, there's no room for us to say, oh, I did most of it. We have peace because of a promise that was perfectly kept. And then the last section of Scripture that I'll take you to and then we'll go have dinner together is Luke chapter 2. Well-known section of Scripture, well-known passage of Scripture. If you wanted to read the whole story, it's all done in like 20 verses. Anybody who tells you the Bible's just like... So much, like, just, oh, they make me do, it's so much. Like, they really just keep hammering the same thing over and over. They did the whole rescue of the world in 20 verses in the book of Luke, just so you know, right? So here's what it looks like in Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. Easy for me to say. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So there comes this order it says, you, you got to go. There comes this declaration that this is what you're supposed to do now. And, and they, they get ready to go and, and they have to do this. And it's kind of the idea, like it wasn't like they had a big celebration, like, yay, we get to go see the family, right? That wasn't how Christmas looked on this situation. It was more like, I have to pay my taxes today and it's going to be a really crappy deal. I mean, a bad deal. Just kidding. I know what I was saying. Okay. Some of you are like, <laughs> and here's the idea. It wasn't something they were joyfully going down the road like, oh, Mary, can't you wait? Oh, ah. Like th- th- this was not the deal. There was no joy and expectancy on that. The only thing there was, was a strong sense of anxiety that there's some big stuff in the works here. One, Joseph's hiding his wife away. Joseph's putting her away so that she won't be publicly ridiculed. So they probably couldn't travel with the typical posse that they would like to go with because he had to keep them away because this was a big thing here, his pregnant teenage wife. And as they move down the road and they're going through this, 
They're wondering, what are we going to do? Like, we can't stay with everybody and we can't do everything. It's like this, you know, kind of blow your mind kind of situation. And they get there and they can't find any place to go. Now, our, my story in my life, we, we had a big story where, where there was a time in our life where we had no place to go. We, had, we didn't know what was going to come next. And God provided This is the same kind of story we experience all the time where God pours out His blessing and pours out His provision. And so peace recognizes great provision. We have peace when we recognize that something has been given and provided. Something has been taken care of. Something has been... We've been blessed. There's no anxiety of like, oh, can we do this? How's it going to happen? No, it's, it's been provided. And so when you know that the bill has been paid, when all has been set in place, you can go with confidence. There can be peace. I love when I get asked to go and like speak for things. And I get there and they've really taken care of me. Like it's pretty cool. Like in the spring, so they asked me to come speak for a week at a, at a high school and junior high school for a, a week-long like, seminar deal they do. And, and the guy says, you know what we'll do is uh, we're going to get you a hotel room and we'll make sure it's all set. And then um, we have some things aligned for you for that week and we'll just have it all put together for you. Man, that's cool, right? You show up, you're kind of like, hey, yeah, this is awesome. When you're going somewhere and you know you're being taken care of and you know it's been provided for, Oh, how good. Now confidently we go. It brings a sense of peace. Mary and Joseph, they experience the peace of provision. And the last one that I put on here, peace brings a... Go. A pause. So Cindy's had three kids. All ours together. And I was there at all moments of the occasion of their arrival. Um, if you've been in the labor and delivery room lately, not the most peaceful place in the world. Even the people who are on the epidural things where it's like, I can't feel my feet and I like it, right? <laughs> You'll get it, it's the song. It's different. But anyway, even though there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. And for a lot of people, it's that moment where they see their child and then they do the, you know, check the fingers and the toes and check out how are they healthy? Is things going good? And for some, they don't get that joy initially from every experience. For some, that room is a tragic place and a tough place to be. For some, that's that's an anxious and anxiety. They've seen the story and, and heard the stories. There's so much, right? There's a tension that exists. And this story, it's kind of like they bypass it a little bit. It says, uh, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn child, a son. Wrapped him snugly in claws and laid him in a manger. But behind there, there's a whole other tension. A tension that says this was not an easy thing. But what's crazy is on the backside of that tension there comes an amazing pause in our house. I was blessed um, that 
all of our kids were born healthy and, and there wasn't many complications with anything. And I remember um, just that enormous sense of just, oh, now we can breathe. And here's what I thought about this week, and here's what I want to close with. This season, as we consider the provision of the Almighty God, the gift of Jesus Christ, would that cause a pause in your heart and your life? So many of us live with these heavy tensions all the time. Would we rest on the sacrifice and the gift of a son to bring a pause to our hearts and lives? And would we let that be the thing that allows us just to be still and know that I am God? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. All throughout Scripture, when God shows up, there is a pause before He takes over. You've got Elijah standing at the mouth of a cave, yelling and seeing fire and wind and earthquake. And then there's a pause. And the Lord was in the pause. And in the silence. And so tonight, as we pray together, I pray that the Lord would provide for you because He's going to do great things in you. He's going to, he's going to do measurably larger things than you could ask or imagine. But tonight, He wants to bring us to a place of pause. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you right now and I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you've poured out your life. Poured out your life so that we could be rescued. Lord, I pray tonight that in each phase of this understanding tonight of peace, whether it's the, the, the beginning phase where Abraham was promised that there would be provision, God, I, I, I pray for those of us who are waiting for your provision would recognize the price that was paid for our peace. God, I pray too, just as we continue to recognize that there are some of us in those moments of anxiety and stress wondering how could this ever come through that you and your promises are true and good and right. That you didn't pay the price for something that was mostly true, but you paid this price because of a promise that was pure and completely without failure kept. God, tonight we recognize in our lives your provision. And there are some of us in this room possibly who have forgotten how much you have provided. We proclaim in this place, great is your faithfulness, O God. Throughout all generations, you have made your name 
great and you will make your name great. And we stand on that truth that those voices of our laughing, shouting, screaming kids next door can bring joy to our hearts because of the promise of provision through the gift of your son. It's not a provision that says each of us will walk out of here with $1,000 in our pocket. It's the promise that there's a provision of a Savior forever to change our world. Father, I pray that you will tonight help us all to find a place of pause. Father, would we recognize what you've called us to. Would we recognize that place of peace that just exhales? And would we recognize that the very sound of our breath proclaims the name of the living God, Yahweh. He provides. Yahweh. He gives. Yahweh, He is irrationally generous and mighty and above every name that is called. Father, I thank you that the peace that we proclaim through the lighting of this candle is much greater than anything that Gandhi ever taught about, anything that John Lennon ever wrote a song about. Anything that was ever proclaimed in a a way of stopping war and famine. It's a giving of life. There is peace in your provision. And we thank you. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for your good name tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.